Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance. Avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount+. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Tuttle Vision. I'm your host, Ryan Abraham, joined along with Keela Yor and Shotgun Spratling. I don't think our intro worked, but that's okay. <laughs> uh, we've done these, one of these for a while, so we appreciate you uh, coming back on and joining us. Had to kind of change some of the technology in the background. One of the things that didn't work is the intro didn't play when I started to play that. So I'll fix that for next time. But, uh, you know, it's all right. We, uh, but we're here. We're ready to talk about the potential college football season. And uh, we're lucky, you know, hopefully you guys will all be able to see us on YouTube, on Facebook, and on Periscope. I know we've had some issues with all that in the past. Hopefully those are cleared up right now. But welcome the guys in, or guys and gals. Keely, how are you? I'm doing well. I take guys as a general term. It's not gender specific. And here oh. I go out as an alien. Hopefully my internet will be slightly okay today. Yeah, we're, we're still socially distancing, so we're not in the studio together. And uh, we also have Shotgun Spratling there. He's not in the Matrix. He's a uh, full-on COVID beard going. How are you doing, Shotgun? I'm doing good, hanging in there. You know, the, the beard continues to grow, you know, full going full throttle with the beard as we continue to quarantine over here. I think uh, we had a question on the podcast of champions about your your beard versus David Woods's beard, and I think you you got him right now. He's he's a veteran of the beard, and uh, yours is pretty damn glorious. So uh, props <laughs> to you. My beard's got long enough that when I wear my mask, I get an indentation now. Oh wow! Okay, yeah, that, that's wow. a, the mask with the uh, the beard. That's a whole different thing. Like you're not gonna get much of a seal on there, right? Yeah, it's kind of defeating the purpose there. <laughs> Nice. Forced uh, to keep out all germs. Thank you. Mm. Nice. We also have a someone here in the studio, ten feet or so apart. So uh, we have a new intern here at USCFootball.com. She's going to be helping us out here on uh, Tunnel Vision. So it's uh, Brene, uh, Bree Bernard Joseph. She is a uh, track athlete at USC, going into her junior year. So she's right here in the studio. You can see here. You can see both of us. See, we're we're far apart. Yeah, we're very far. <laughs> Bree, how's, how's it going? Thanks for uh, coming on. Thank you for inviting me having me here um i'm doing good how are you can't complain uh we're you know socially distant ready to uh to roll here we have hopefully all of the channels rolling uh it looks like youtube's going i think periscope everyone it looked like we're all going and everything uh you can also call in we have our call in number 5124 tunnel uh if you want to call in and uh talk about anything you want on the show we'll do that live and also you can tweet at us at uh, the, uh, for any of the Twitter accounts, just use hashtag tunnel vision and I'll be able to pull it up on the screen. So if you tweet something, hashtag tunnel vision, put it up there. And if you have any comments on YouTube or Facebook, we have Brie, uh, watching that and monitoring that now, and she'll be able to pop things up and put them on the screen. And, uh, yeah, we'll be able to play things like that. So hopefully Keely will stay in, uh, out of the matrix. Oh, she's going in and out there, but there you uh, go. Well, it's been a while. How are you guys, you guys doing okay? Yeah, doing all quarantining. We're still doing all the podcasts. Shock and I and Chris Trino have been turning out some family feud pods. So we're still churning along, even though it looks like college football might not be going in the same direction. <laughs> Keely, that's not, that's such a bummer. What? Like, what are you bring everybody down for? 
I'm just, I'm, I'm sorry. Negative <laughs> Nancy over here. Yeah. Automatically assumed. You're starting off a show with cancellation talk uh, there. Look at you the know, first bullet point, Shotgun. I know, yeah. I know, unfortunately. The, the positive news right now is that there's a lot of other sports that are going on, which has been great for me, getting to watch some sports on TV. I mean, I've, I've been taking in anything and everything I can get from overseas, you know, during the quarantine, watching Aussie rules football and rugby and whatever I can find, you know, today uh, alone, I think I watched NASCAR, watched a little bit of golf even, which I can't stand watching golf. I normally fall asleep during it, which has happened twice this week when I've tried to watch it. But since it was the final round, got to watch a little bit of it, but hockey being on playoff hockey is terrific. I watched a little basketball earlier today, watched some baseball games as well. I mean, you can't be upset to be able to watch sports all day. And that's, that's what the weekends have, have been full of for, for a couple of days now. Yeah. There's, there's sports on. Um, so it's, it's pretty cool. Will there be college football? That's a big question. So there was uh we'll talk about that a little bit. There was an emergency meeting, all the powers that be um, it's up to the power five, basically at this point, we know the Mac uh, postponed, canceled their season until the spring. So none of the power five leagues have, most people think it's either going to be the Big Ten or the Pac-12 that would pull the trigger first. My guess it would be the Big Ten. Um, there's a lot of concerns there, so we'll see. We'll we'll talk about that a little bit. Uh, there's been some good news on the you know testing side. Keeley's been keeping on top of this. No positive tests at anyone at USC over the past three weeks. There was a test, a, one positive test two weeks ago, but it was someone that was coming to campus, not someone that contracted the virus uh, while they were on campus. So they're doing a pretty good job a really good job uh, of keeping everybody safe there. And there's obviously there's issues with the county and with the state and the state did come out with the the health guidelines for universities and USC still waiting on the county to hear about all that kind of stuff. So there's, they're trying to figure all that out. The whole point of that being, will they be able to start fall camp next week? It's supposed to start uh, eight days from now, August, uh, uh, August 17th. So as of now, like they're not able to gather in larger groups and all that kind of stuff. So hopefully the, st- the county will be able to come up with some guidelines for USC to allow them to start fall camp. Not that they would necessarily start it August 17th. They have about six weeks to do all 25 practices. So we'll see. They could start a week or two later, but they need something. Now the state put out something they need to hear from the county to make sure their plan to go ahead safely is cleared. And then uh, there's a, a new schedule. We got the full schedule for USC football, and we'll talk about uh, that a little bit. What, what do you think, guys? Should we start with the schedule? You want to go there first? Yeah, for whatever. Uh, you know, I can talk about anything at all times. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll put it. I'll put it up here on the screen. Um, oh, this is. <laughs> never mind. I put the old schedule up there. I had the schedule. schedule. I thought I doubted it. That was the. This is what should have happened, and that's not and what's going to happen. People. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that was like, oh, that's just such a bummer. You're like, oh, this is what I saw Alabama. I'm like, I I put the wrong one on the uh, on the screen there, but it's an interesting one where USC starts off with all three California schools, UCLA, the first weekend, uh, September 26, which probably isn't going to happen the way things are going in Los <laughs> Angeles. But I think that's the whole point is that they put yeah. that one first, knowing they could delay it to the bye week, uh, which is in October or. December 12th, the weekend before the Pac-12 championship game. But USC has the three California schools first, so we'll see where everyone's at. Everyone pretty much in California can't practice yet. Uh, Stanford can use a football. They're allowed to throw it between two people, but not three. So there's a, you know restrictions for Santa Clara County. All the little, all the smaller governments, uh, you know, the, the city of Berkeley, the county of Los Angeles, and uh, Santa Clara County for Stanford, they all have their say in what's going on. But Stanford can do a little bit more 
than the other schools, but not having, um, you know, Alabama, not having Notre Dame and then adding uh, Washington State. So there's five home games, five road games. But when you saw how the schedule came out, we'll start with you, Keely. What any, any initial thoughts? I mean, I thought it was interesting. I'm going to steal a Chris Trevino line on the Family Feud podcast, but he said it was like getting a save the date for a, a couple you knew were going to get divorced in like a year. So it's Ooh. like, this sounds, this, I know, this sounds great, but what's really going to happen? Is this going to happen? I think my analogy was, you know, the, the LA schools are the kids with the strict parents. So they're at like a function and they're like, hey, we're going to do this. And everyone's like, this sounds good, but there's no way my mom's going to say yes. It's kind of like the the strict parents. So, you know, I thought it was interesting. I think for all things considered, they did a good job of adding flexibility to the schedule. Um, if you look at just at, at SCs, they're in a pod of UCLA, Cal, and Oregon State, and they those four teams have the same buy. So if anything happens in those first two weeks, you, uh, USC can reschedule with both uh, UCLA and Cal. So I thought it was interesting. Uh, the Pac-12 tried to do some flexibility things. For me, it's just like, this looks great. I'm cool. It's nice to see like dates and logos and, and how you're going to do it. But I mean, Larry Scott himself was asked, what's your confidence level that this will actually happen? And he point blank said, I don't know. I don't know if it's going to happen. And I think that's where we are right now. I know we're going to get to that later, but it looks good. They added flexibility, but will this happen? It were, it's yet to see. Yeah. What about you, Shotgun? Yeah, and that's one of the reasons why they had USC and UCLA playing first. You got Arizona, Arizona State playing uh, to open the season as well. They were giving a little bit more flexibility in areas where there has been, you know, there have been hot, uh, you know, hotbed areas for the virus and stuff. So they wanted to give those schools an opportunity to stay closer to home, not have to travel, but also have that flexibility to move that game back if, you know, things did not get better in those areas compared to the, the rest of the footprint of the Pac-12. You know, so, so I thought that they did some really nice things of what they could do with this schedule. Uh, the, the big question is, will it happen at all? Uh, but, uh, you know, looking at the schedule and if it does end up playing out the way it is, you know, USC had a chance to, to start the season out 5-6-0 and uh, and then go into a really tough stretch where you had, you know, the Washington, the Oregon games, Arizona State, having all those games kind of in a row um, where there wasn't much of a breather. But I actually thought that that schedule played out better for USC because you push all your tough games later in the season – that's what they need actually right now when you have a you know you have a first year defensive coordinator trying to implement a new defense and you've had one walkthrough practice in it and that's it so with the fact that USC needs those extra reps is going to need to play their way kind of play their way into shape with this defense then I think it makes a lot more sense to for them or it, it's much better for them to open with you know, a little bit softer schedule and then get into your hard games rather than starting with an Alabama uh, like the original schedule had, had shaped up to be. But saying that, if USC was to start the season with UCLA, that's a game you would have to watch out for because Chip Kelly is no, is really good at exploiting defenses and, and finding some some uh, finding some errors and then pushing that same button over and over. And I think that's something that could be a danger with a new offense. I mean, a, a new defense trying to go up against Chip Kelly like that. So you know that could be one that that USC you know maybe shouldn't lose but might lose. But then they play better later in the season against some some uh, better quality teams. Yeah, we'll see. Uh... If that one happens, I, it's weird to see USC UCLA the opening weekend, but like we yeah. said, would probably not going to happen, but hope, I mean, 
We're still hopeful that there's going to be a season, but I would guess if the season starts, it probably will be the week after that game uh, and not necessarily. And I, I, I've kind of felt all along the real threat is more about your own team and being in a big group and, and practicing together and being in meetings and all that as opposed to being on the field and, and spreading it from team to team. I mean, that could happen. We haven't seen that. There was a good example, shotgun and baseball, where the, the Marlins – uh, you know, pretty much the whole team had it and the Phillies played against them for a weekend and no one got it from the Phillies. So that was positive, but you know, baseball and football are different. It's really just about the viral load. But I, I kind of feel like the bigger threats more internal, like where you're just with the same people all the time. You know what I mean? I mean, the difference there is that football is, you know, you're face to face, you're, you know, breathing heavily, you know, expelling a lot of fluids and stuff on the field, every hit, you know, there, I've got, Tons of pictures where, you know, you get a hit and there's just sweat flying off the bodies and off the pads and stuff. So it's much different than baseball in that regard. So if you did have a team go coming into a game in a similar fashion as the Marlins, then there's much more chance of spreading it across, you know, across the, the field to the other sideline than there is in baseball. Um, I, I think it is positive that baseball, there was, there have been situations, but there hasn't been that spread to other teams. But I also think that baseball is much more aligned, the sport to look at, because they aren't in a bubble. And you're not going to be able to put college football in a bubble, you know, because then you're, you're completely taking out the student-athlete portion of it and you're just admitting that they are uh, actual professionals that you're not paying. Um, so that would be, that would be the, the deal breaker, obviously. So they're not going to be able to put them in a bubble. And MLB, unlike – hockey unlike nba where they have not had any positive tests mlb continues to have positive tests um so i think that's the the one that you know the the presidents and athletic directors can look at more directly and say okay that's the one to pay a bit more attention to than some of the other sports that have been in bubbles right now and the fact that mlb continues to have issues with the cardinals you know uh, the marlins had their first that first outbreak he said okay things are really bad they got to clean things up will it be fixed and it hasn't necessarily been where you've seen the Cardinals have had a bunch of players and stuff uh, where they've had to cancel a bunch of games too. Yeah. Um, hey, we have a question from Alexis Pinto. He says, have any other players besides Chase Williams gotten behind the hashtag we stand United movement? It seems most guys want to play. Even Chase Williams wants to play too. I don't think it's a, a matter of those players not wanting to play. However, uh, they're taking an opportunity to, to try to, kind of stand up to the Pac-12 and, and make some demands uh, of the program. Now, some of the demands are a little bit too far. Uh, they, they're not going to be able to get, but it's also the starting point of a negotiation. I think people were a little thrown off by that when they saw the revenue sharing and things, and, you know, and, and maybe they're not going to get 50% revenue sharing or anything on the revenue sharing. You know, the, the COVID questions are a lot more um, imperative and, and, you know, much more central to the discussion for a lot of those players. Um, you know, they probably should be earning some kind of take away from uh, what they are. And the name, uh, the name likeness, you know, is, is a de definite step in that direction, but those players want to play still too. Um, and to, to answer the question more directly, yes, there are more players behind it. USC players that are, um, that are with the, that are agreeing with that, the the uh, we are united stand and stuff that they not necessarily are signing their name to it. Chase Williams is the only USC player uh, of the players that have signed their name, but the the group is saying to represent around 400 players in the Pac-12. Now, uh, how they 
come up with that number? And, you know, is there an online, you know, database where they've gotten this amount of people that have agreed to it? Or is it just their teammates say, yeah, I agree with you, man. Yeah, we should be getting some more, uh, you know, some more things taken care of. I don't know exactly how they're they're classifying that, but there are other USC players that are behind it, and you know several of them posted on their their social medias and stuff. I, I did an article on that uh, when that first came out, but there were about a third of the team actually made a positive reinforcement of the We Are United stand, whether it be you know sharing things themselves or liking their their teammates' comments and stuff. But about you know about a third of them did, and there wasn't anyone in particular that was directly saying that this is this is dumb or anything. There were some players saying, I still want to play, you know, and, you know, I support the other guys that are doing this, but, you know, I'll be out on the field type of thing. Yeah. Got Keely back. Uh, we have a question. Our buddy Jasper uh, wrote it on YouTube. Uh, if the season gets canceled, roughly how much of the revenue hit will USC feel? I saw Barry Alvarez of Wisconsin mentioned somewhere in the $100 million range. Um, USC's budget's around 120 million a year. John Wilner did a good piece uh, recently talking about direct revenue from football is approximately half of uh, the athletic department's revenue from across the Pac-12. The problem is there's all this indirect revenue where if you're talking about like stadium advertising and things like that, that's not necessarily, or any kind of like sponsorships, that's not necessarily attributed to football, but it's because of football. So he was estimating it's closer to the 75% range. So yeah, for USC, it could be, you know, 75, 80 million, something like that. Like very significant. I don't know what you guys, Keely, start with you. Yeah, I think Brandon Sosna, uh, the chief staff for USC's athletic department said on the show, um, lunch with the Trojan, it made up uh, 90 to 95% of their uh, budget as far as revenue coming in. So that's a huge chunk, but I that's don't know the, chunk. the numbers <laughs> specifically. Yeah. What about you, Shotgun? I mean, it it makes up so much of the athletic department revenue. You know, that's why they all all the talk is always oh, uh, football pays for all the other sports. Uh, you know, just because your travel expenses and stuff like that when you were traveling, especially in the West, where you have to travel farther. You know, when you have to fly to you know to to Moscow and then drive to Pullman. You know, when you have flights and buses and all that type of stuff. You know, whether it's for the track team or whether it's for volleyball those sports just don't bring in the same revenue to pay for all that stuff. Now, part of it is, you know, donations that come to the school and stuff, though, the, all that stuff goes to the athletic department as a whole as well. Um, but football is football and bat and men's basketball in particular are the two sports that bring in the most revenue that is then spread out uh, along with to all the other sports as well. And some sports, you know, equipment can be really expensive. Baseball, obviously, is an expensive sport in that regard. You know, if you have hockey, there, you know, those sports where there's a lot more equipment and stuff. Football is an expensive sport in and of itself, and because you have so many uh, players, but the take-in from the tickets when you're having, you know, when you have 90,000 people at a game versus a women's volleyball game where you hope to get 500, you know, the – the ticket prices obviously are much more expensive as well. So there's a lot more money comes from that football revenue and it gets spread out to everyone else. So there will be money lost there, but there's, you know, the athletic departments and, you know, schools in general are losing a bunch of money to begin with. 
with, with a lot of the stuff that's going on and the extra money that's being spent to try to make things safer for the students when they return to campus or for the extra testing for players and all, all the other stuff like that. So there's a lot of money being spent to, to try to, you know, try to keep things safe and, and do things as best as possible and, and uh, you know, up to all the codes that are being set. But, you know, if you don't have fans in, the, in attendance, then you're going to lose a lot of money and, you know, if you don't play the games, you don't get the TV money. And that's the biggest thing is that's why the athletic departments are trying so hard to figure out all the ways they can to, to play the games is because that TV money is just absolutely huge to the budget of the, of the entire department. Yeah. We ought to follow up from Jasper. Uh, if the COVID-19 situation gets worse and the 2020 season never gets played, will student athletes get another year of eligibility? We saw this right with, uh, with, baseball a little bit shotgun yeah with the spring sports they gave all those athletes uh that had you know were basically less than 50 percent into their season they all got an extra year eligibility so since you set that precedent you would think the ncaa would continue with that however we do know the ncaa does not always follow their own precedents so uh so i think that you would see that now the big question then becomes what happens with the roster limits? Do you make some adjustments there as far as football in particular? Because you can bring in 25 guys a year. You're allowed up to 85. They did allow baseball to have uh, more spots. And, that you know, there were some other things that they could do. But do you change what's allowed, you know, or is there does there become a bigger, you know, chasm between the haves and have-nots uh, of who can bring back people and who cannot? Yeah. And it's also worth noting that the NCAA said that there would be eligibility, but that's if your school is willing to pay uh, your scholarship. So just coming off of talking how much a financial hit colleges could take from not having uh, the 2020 fo football season, that you might have the chance to have eligibility from the NCAA, but that doesn't mean that your school can provide another year of scholarship. So that's going to be the big thing going forward. You know what would be interesting? If we had like a spring athlete here, and, oh, wait, we do. Bree, did you get an extra year of eligibility? Yes, I did. I did get an extra year of eligibility. So I will be a sophomore this year. Okay. I run. But you're a junior. Yeah. Um, yeah, junior-wise school. And uh, 400 meter hurdles, which yes. sounds really difficult. But They're thank very you. Tough, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you got another year. That's great. There, um, guys. We we need to get in and start talking about the uh, the potential of a you know a shutdown at some point. We've you know since the last time we were on. You know, we saw, I think the last time we talked about the Pac-12 going conference only, we didn't have the actual schedule. Uh, now we know what all the conferences are doing. The ACC is doing a, a plus, was it? They're doing a plus one. The Big 12, uh, same thing. Um, so their ACC is doing an 11-game schedule. Big, t Big 12 doing 10. Uh, same thing with the Big 10 and the, and the SEC, uh, like the Pac-12 is doing. So we know all that stuff now, but will we get there? Uh, will we be able to get to that? And... Well, like talked about the top of the show, most of the speculation is if somebody shuts down the season, it'll probably be the Big Ten first or, or the Pac-12, but most likely the Big Ten. They've been more of a leader throughout this. They were the first conference to go uh, to the uh, conference-only schedule. But there was, uh, you know, all of the, the powers that be in the, the Power Five conferences are, are meeting all the time. The report today, I think, you know, they said early on it was an emergency meeting, but maybe they backed off that. Uh, a little bit. I'm not expecting the season to get canceled today or tomorrow or in the next couple of days, but obviously you can't be shocked, Keely, if it's going to happen in the next week or two. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting waking up on Saturday. It seemed like there was a shift. It seemed like people started to get a little uneasy. Um, and then it kind of keeps building. It kind of feels like uh, when USC kind of had that run of news in 2016 and you just felt like you couldn't leave your phone. It's kind of like that right now. And I think I said on the, the Parasol podcast with Dan, I feel like the Big Ten is just leaning more and more towards uh, canceling fall sports. And it sounds like from what's reported, the Big Ten basically kind of had an emergency meeting with other Power Five administrators and was like, hey, what if we end up doing this? How do you guys feel about it? So it seems like things are in the works. And like I said on the podcast, I feel like the Pac-12 wants to go the route of uh, the Big Ten, wants to go down that canceling, rescheduling route, but doesn't want to be the first conference to do so. So I think just like we saw with the conference-only schedules, you'll see the Big Ten come out and say what they're saying, and then the Pac-12 follows. But I, it sounds like they're trying to preach unity now between the conferences. So maybe there might be a joint statement. Who knows? But it's it just... It just seems more ominous as the days go on. And then we're seeing all these like uh, anonymous reports from uh, uh, reporters with sources saying, hey, it could could come this week. It could come in a couple of days. But it sounds like there's meetings going on and and things are going to definitely develop faster as the week progresses. The thing is, no one wanted to be the first one to do it. No one wanted to be the first one to cancel their season. No one wanted to be the first conference. And we've seen both of those now. UConn made their announcement uh, earlier in the week that they're not going to play. And then the MAC makes the same uh, decision for their conference. And part of it is the financials of it. You know, the the MAC was going to lose out on a bunch of money for those playing games. Uh, UConn was the same thing. Part of the reason why they decided that, you know, it wasn't worth the risk because they were going to actually not make as much money because they weren't have those buy games anymore. Um, so now you're seeing, you know, the ACC lost some games when the MAC lost it. So now you're going to see some schedules have to be changed over as well uh, if, if there is a season played. Um, so who follows suit with that? And it kind of feels like I've, I've seen this kind of reference a couple of times on Twitter. It feels a little bit like March 12th again. You know, when you know I'm flying to Vegas to go to the Pac-12 basketball tournament and as I'm about to land, I get the notification on my phone that the Pac-12 has canceled the Pac-12 over. basketball tournament. Um, and then slowly, you know, you saw the wheels continue to turn over the next couple, you know, over hours that day. Uh, but it within a couple of days, basketball season was over. The College World Series had been canceled, um, even though it was three or four months away. So it, it, it feels kind of like that where – you're starting to see things slowly start to creep up and you're going, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. We're going to go over the edge. And that's what, what it's felt like, you know, more and more since early yesterday morning, um, you know, when the Mac news came out. I was up early yesterday and started seeing stuff just start flowing out. And you start to get that, that kind of trepidation that that's the direction everything is going, unfortunately. And I think it's also you look at the Max decision, but also – this is when uh, students are starting to get on campus. I think presidents are getting a little uneasy. I think now that you can see things actually starting to happen, fall schools are, are opening, and it's like, how are we going to do this? I think that's the other thing is in July and in months previously, it, it kind of was this far away thing that you could game plan for, but now it's a little bit more real, and I think people are having the, oh, okay, what are we doing here and having that second thought? So I think that also contributes to it. Yeah. Fall camp could start next week for USC. So it will not, but it could in theory. (laughs) Normally Um, we would have already been on campus for fall camp. Guys, I don't know what it's like to have an August where I'm like not sleep deprived and at USC 24 hours of the day. This is just crazy. It's very strange. You haven't had instant analysis in a long time. I know. The last instant analysis we did, I said 
between practice ending and filming this, the NBA just canceled. So we'll see what happens. And then yeah. that was it. <laughs> yeah, it didn't go well. Uh, this, is also the, this is also the same week that the area code games are, which is the you know high school baseball equivalent of the opening. So all the best players are normally at Long Beach. So I'm usually doing double, you know, watching three or four games there and talking to a bunch of baseball coaches and then coming to practice. So that they reset, they moved that to Atlanta actually this year. And they're having like lightning delays and stuff. And that's something that never happens out here where the, the weather is always perfect in early August for, for the area code games. But yeah, it's usually a sleep deprived time as we're yeah. trying to turn out a bunch of content early uh, in fall camp. And instead, you know, I, I slept in pretty good today. Yeah. Yeah. My golf game is really good during this COVID thing, man. I'm just playing a lot of golf. I'm way better. I had five birdies like the last three days. Like I never do that. That was great. Um, if you, if you guys want to call in uh, 5124-TUNNEL, we'd love to talk to you and like to hear what you have to say. We have another question uh, from Dave. Thanks for, Brita, for putting these up on the screen, so I don't have to do that. That's nice. Uh, do you think student-athletes are safer in a, in a biweekly testing, practice, study, and play routine versus returning to student life with the general population? Keely, you want to start? Yeah, I was I was waiting, hoping that my picture will get better. But I, it, this is an interesting debate, and I think we're kind of seeing this pop up on Twitter right now with the "We Want to Play." I think a lot of players feel like they actually are safer on campus, and if you're in a in a certain situation like USC, where the majority of the student population is at home, you kind of have a mini bubble in itself because. Yeah. All the student athletes took a pledge uh, and said that they're going to adhere to social distancing rules and, and trying to be as healthy and safe as possible. And they're being tested once a week. And, and props to USC, props to Mike Bone and Brent Sosna for getting this done because uh, so far, like you said, Ryan, it seems like they've been able to eradicate the virus because they haven't had uh, a positive test within uh, the students who are working out in three weeks. The one that happened last week was a, a, play, a player that felt sick and then came to campus to get USC's uh, medical treatment. And that goes to show Dave's question. Sometimes the medical treatment that you're getting at USC will be better than, than what you get at home. Or if you want to work out, it might be safer to do it in an environment where everyone's testing, everyone has a, a general agreement. So I think this is the debate that's going on right now. Do you keep the students on campus, the student athletes on campus, where they're safer, they're testing? And right now, I think in USC's case, I, it makes sense to stay there rather than maybe go home where there's way, much more variables and much less testing. So it depends, I guess, yeah. on each school. I feel like Keely answered a different question than, than Dave's, actually. She, hers was more about going home versus staying. Oh, um, okay. Compared to Dave, Dave asking, you know, biweekly testing, practice, studying, and basically being in a bubble – versus returning to actual student life with the general population, yes, that is definitely safer because oh, well, the less eight, the less 18 to 22-year-olds you have, the less likely that they're going to make bad decisions. Uh, when you get 1,000 or 2,000 or 20,000 of them, then there's more likelihood that someone's going to make a bad decision and then yeah. you're going to get a Louisville situation where you go to a party and you have 29 athletes suddenly or 26 athletes, whatever it was, that test positive. And, you know, some of those players got thrown out, um, you know, from some of the soccer players that helped organize it. So, yes, I think that the, it is safer for them to be in that bubble environment of the team only. And, but if everyone gets on campus, returns to campus, then, yes, I think there's a, a much higher risk there. I think with answering what Keely turned the question into, then I, I think that there are some, you know, uh, some reasons why you would think it would be safer for players to stay on campus where there is that testing. I think that's the biggest difference. The, the 
the positive tests you've seen a lot of times um, around the country, uh, but the initial positive tests have been when players get back to campus and you're seeing, you know, they come in, they get that initial test and, oh, they have some positive tests where they brought it from the outside and then they quarantine and they do all the steps that they need to be done. You're not seeing a ton of um, pop-up uh, where the virus, you know, someone is catching it on campus. Now that has happened at Clemson, at Kansas State, at a couple of other schools, but in general, you're seeing more, more so where the, the general cases have been from players bringing it from the outside where they're getting the testing on campus. And that's probably the difference because how many times are, are each of us individually going to get tested while we're at home and trying to stay you know, with our family? Are, are those athletes going once a week? No, they're not doing that. So if you're, do, you're on campus and you're getting that twice a week, then yes, I think that's a lot safer option for the players. Yeah, oh, we got oh, Keely came back. Um, real quick too. So right now we've we've seen USC kind of come up with different announcements. The initial one that we thought was really positive a couple of months ago, it was going to be like a hybrid model, students will be back on campus. That was backed off. Then was backed off even more, where it's basically like nope, unless you're like a you know, there's really specific reasons why you would be on campus. So that was the latest one. So it's a lot more restrictive. There were also athletes from the five different sports that were already on campus. They're allowed to stay. Uh, we have, you know, we, we talked to Bree a little bit earlier. She's a, she, you know, she was scheduled to come back to campus, but you're, you're now not going to be allowed. Like no yeah. new student athletes are allowed yeah, back. No, not yet. They basically just said we're waiting for the mayor to say we can, or LA County, LA County. LA County Health. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So they're keeping it the way it is. So it's sort of like this, you know, mini bubble, I guess you could say. Um, but that's, uh, they're not going to allow any more, but it seems to be pretty safe. You've got three weeks without anyone contracting the virus. Would it be different if more students, athletes came back? If, I mean, or more just general students, hard to say, but I, they've been doing a good job right now. So that's, uh, that's positive, but we do have a live caller. Let's oh. uh, bring him in. Is this uh Dave from Iowa? Are you there? Uh, dun, 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 dun. Let's see. Try that again. <laughs> Dave okay. from Iowa. Are you there now? Ryan, can you hear me? Yes. Yeah, sorry about that. I mean, it's, <laughs> It's been a while, man. So I clicked, I, I let our screener back into the show instead of you. I, my apologies. <laughs> you're good. You're good. Uh, my question, kind of moving away from uh, college football in the future, mainly recruiting. Uh, what are your thoughts of Jake Garcia moving to Georgia to play his senior year of football? Yeah. So thanks. Uh, thanks for the question, Dave. Um, so what? What he's talking about, USC's uh, first quarterback commit in this class, uh, Jake Garcia, he is uh, now going to move to uh, Georgia. And, you know, Shotgun, you're an expert about that <laughs> program. But uh, what, what's going on there with Jake uh, moving? Trying to, you know, trying to play a senior season that he wasn't going to be able to play if he was here in California. Yeah, not just moving to Georgia, but moving to South Georgia. Oh, um, big where, difference. Where the, uh, where the, the syllables get, en get elongated further and further uh, as the day goes on longer. Um, but he's going to Valdosta, which is, you know, is, which is title town, you know, and won the, 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 um, that nomenclature from ESPN, I think like 10, 15 years ago, because Valdosta high school, also Valdosta state university, all those, the football programs down there have won, uh, numerous titles in the in their history. Uh, he's going. There's they got a new head coach this year, which is Russ Probst, who you know you may have heard of before. He's probably the most famous high school coach in America because of the two a days and because of all the kind of controversy and you know weird stuff that has swirled around him. 
you know, from his Alabama days, but also in, you know, he was at Colfort County, which is another big school in Georgia as well in South Georgia. Uh, he took them to a couple of state championships as well, but he was also uh, fired from that program. He gave some pills to players, you know, I think it was just over the counter stuff, but also, you know, the coaches aren't supposed to be administering any medications or anything. There was They're a bunch not. of other stuff with him. Uh, you know, from people back home in, in Georgia, you know, I've, the, the common refrain of him is egomaniacal is oh. probably the best way to describe him. You know, I've had a couple people tell him, uh, use that word to describe him. You know, he's, he's a really good football coach, but there's also a lot of stuff that comes along with that. But I thought it was interesting. I looked up and looked through all his Hoover high school days and his Colquitt County. He really hasn't had, you know, top end quarterbacks ever. You know, the only quarterback that he's had that was, was in the top 500 even was John Parker Wilson, if you remember him from Alabama. Alabama, yeah. Um, so his younger brother actually was on the two-a-day show. Um, so John Parker got even more notoriety at that time because of it. But besides John Parker Wilson, he's had a couple of guys that have gone to, like, mid, mid-major schools, like Georgia. Yeah, I think that Georgia Southern was maybe one of them, maybe like a Kent State. But those guys were both ranked outside of the, the top 1,800 nationally. So he's never really had a quarterback like Jake Garcia as far as, you know, being a, a high-end guy like that. So it'll be interesting to see, um, you know, how they use him. Normally, uh, Rush Proch uses a hurry-up offense. He calls all the plays. Um, so we'll see. That's something I think that fits Jake Garcia's style pretty well. That's something Narbonne did. You know, they did a lot of uh, hurry-up stuff with him as well. So I think that actually is is good for him as far as fitting into – potentially fitting into the USC offense under Graham Harrell you know, trying to go fast and want to do those things. And the biggest thing and why Jake Garcia is making this move, he said, was to get reps. He hasn't had a full high school season yet. You know, he was a backup as a freshman at Long Beach Poly, then went to Narbonne, you know, had some, the, you know, the transfer, getting getting eligible from after the transfer, so he didn't play the full season then. So he hasn't been able to have that full season. He wants to go get those reps. So you got to commend him for wanting to get out there and play and knowing that there's an area of deficiency and somewhere where he thinks he can continue to grow and get better. And it's a, it's a bold move to go all the way across the country to play. We'll see if the, the football season happens in Georgia as well. They've already canceled pre any preseason scrimmages. So they've kind of pulled back a little bit on things. So uh, you know, that's uh, just like college football. I think that one's still up in the air a little bit too. All right. Uh, we have another YouTube question. Our buddy Jasper, if the season gets moved to spring, which PAC 12 team benefits the most what do you guys think i haven't thought about this that's an interesting I think, question i can say i think the one that gets hurt the most is probably oregon because you're losing penne sewell yeah and you know yeah. if you lose a top three player in the country then that's going to hurt you a lot um I, I think that a team like maybe utah maybe benefits because they're replacing a lot of guys so they, you know, just having that extra time to to be, you know, get uh, a bunch of young guys kind of uh, initiated into the program and doing the things you like, maybe that helps them. It's kind of hard to say, but I, I think you you start looking more at who's going to be hurt more from it by potentially players not playing because of NFL draft status and, and wanting to prepare for that. Or maybe Colorado with Carl Durrell, maybe having some more time for team team chemistry and, and maybe getting some real practices under your belt rather than Carl kind of being like, hello, this is our team and we're playing now. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a really good point. I'd go with Colorado for sure with Carl Durrell. Also, uh, you know, Nick Rolovich up at Washington State. Like you're, you're installing new systems 
knew everything, I think that's going to be a little bit more difficult. And anyway, you know, even a team like USC, where you're replacing your entire defensive staff, that kind of gives you an opportunity to rebuild things back up. So I, I think if you get the practices though, okay, yeah, I mean, you're not going to start like. I mean, I don't think you're gonna be able to play without getting things going. Plus, you at least have meetings and stuff now. Like they're gonna be a lot more familiar with these players already. Just, I, th I think it gives you some kind of opportunities. But I don't know. Yeah, you still need to practice defense, though. It's a very like you have to practice type of thing. Wait, like tackling and stuff. You yeah, need all those that, things? that's an important element, Ryan. <laughs> yeah, whatever. <it> is. <laughs> uh, we got another one uh, from our buddy Coley. Oh. Um, so I know he's been, you know, he would message me asking when we're going to do uh, the show. We're back, Cole. I think we're going to be back on a regular schedule now. I think the, it looks like the technical issues on this end, and we'll clean up some of the internet things with Keeley. We'll, I don't know. We'll figure something out. Uh, hey, Tunnel Vision. Uh, if indeed the season is delayed till spring, do you feel USC would stay a Pac-12 conference-only schedule or bring back Notre Dame in their original schedule? Haven't thought about that either. My, my thoughts are probably stay with the conferences because it's like, oh, first of all, it's amazing how people are shifting as quickly as they are and coming up with new schedules, figuring new teams to play. You know, the, the service academies or like BYU, whatever, like people that have lost a lot of games scrambling like, oh, I'll add this game, I add this game. They're putting it together. It might not happen, but they're able to put this together at the last minute. Why do we need to schedule games, you know, 15 <laughs> years ahead of time? Like this, this is one of those things like COVID shows you like, you don't need to like have a set schedule for a decade. Be a little flexible and have some flexibility built there, build some cool games in. But anyway, my thoughts are that it would still be a conference only kind of schedule because they still, it's still not going to be normal. Uh, I think they still want to have that control uh, over things, but I don't know what you guys think. Go ahead, Keely. I was just going to say, yeah, I think it, it really depends on where we are in the spring, which given how much time we had from March till now, I don't feel optimistic that things would be drastically different. I think looking at what's happening at Colorado State shows that if you go outside of the conference, you're not sure what you're going to get. At least with a conference, you have some type of standard uh, that you at least are hopefully adhering to, whereas if you go out of conference, um, maybe Notre Dame might be different because you can kind of schedule with them and you've had them for such a long time, but uh, a relationship with them for such a long time. But, you know, I, I don't think that anything would be different in spring. And I think at this point, it's just put on any football season. So if that means conference only, then I think they will still continue with conference only. Yeah, I think I agree with Keeley that it just depends on where we're at with the virus as a, as a nation. You know, if we've made some big strides, if everyone is following the rules and all of a sudden, you know, you see a plummet of the cases and the deaths and the hospitalizations, then I think maybe you, you consider opening things back up to a regular schedule. If, the, you know, if we have a vaccine by that time, depending on when it is in the spring, you know, if the, how quickly the trials and stuff go with the vaccine, then maybe you could consider that. But if you're still in a similar situation as to what we are now, uh, you know, maybe even things have, you know, have improved by a half uh, instead of fully improved, then I, I think you're sticking with your conference-only schedule. Because just like Healy said, it's the opportunities to know and have that same, you know, the same set of standards that, you know, that all the other schools are are that you're facing are so you know that the testing is the same and everything and you're not having to worry about hey if we play new mexico and put them back on the schedule are they getting the same amount of testing as we're requiring uh from our all the pac-12 schools 
All right. Uh, looks like we got a Facebook question as well. Uh, it says, good point, Ryan. I'm not sure what this was referring to, but I always You'll have good points. So that, it's just anything I say. Uh, but then how would the SEC and ACC use the schedule excuse for not scheduling at least two cupcakes? Um, you know, our resident SEC expert here is shotgun, but I did feel like, say if the season goes through like this is, I love the fact that you're going to see, now I think Alabama and Georgia were scheduled to play this year anyway, right? Mm -hmm. But they normally don't, you don't really don't have like, you know, USC and Oregon were playing like they're in the Pac-12, you're only missing two teams in the SEC. You miss more. What do you miss Four. Half of the other, half of the other division, right, or whatever, or four of the six, or something. Um, it's or, or three or whatever. I mean, you miss a bunch of the good teams, and I think this was going to be a really interesting matchup where you're adding. You can only there's you know you can everyone can't play Vanderbilt an extra two times. You have to go out and play some of the other teams that you weren't scheduled to play, and those are the the extra losses we always talk about with the Pac-12 that you get by what if USC and Oregon didn't play each other during the regular yeah. season? They only played in the championship game. Um, so I thought if you come out of the SEC uh, alive and undefeated, now LSU just crushed everybody last year. They they were great. But if you could come out of the SEC undefeated this year with the 10-game schedule instead of just eight, I thought it was going to be more impressive. Yeah, I mean, the SEC is actually, you know, there's 14 teams in the SEC, six teams uh, in your division that you play every year, and then you play two crossovers. So, um you know, with having eight instead of nine conference games like the Pac-12 has, then you don't have as much crossover on the other side. And one of those teams is the same every year. So Georgia plays Auburn, you know, clean old-fashioned hate, uh, or excuse me, the, the Deep South's oldest uh, rivalry, clean old-fashioned hate is is Georgia-Georgia Tech. Um, but so you're playing one of those teams. So the other six teams, you're on a cycle once a year. So you barely, that's why Georgia has not played Alabama since they tried to wear those black uniforms and were uh, beaten beaten badly uh, a long time ago. But uh, they were scheduled to play this year. So, yeah, it would be great to see them get to that. You would also like to see, hey, nine games in a conference, that makes more sense. Um, and, you know, everyone go across the board have similar uh, similar agreeing on the number of conference games. But the SEC, I, I thought it was interesting, their schedules and seeing, you know, you see a school like Missouri – you're going to add two more teams. Hey, guess what? You get to go to LSU and you get to host Alabama. Aren't you happy we added two more games in the SEC for you? That's crazy. Yeah, so you miss five teams from the other division, yeah. right? Yeah, crazy. so that's – this is going to be a lot better. And I think maybe this will get us closer to everyone playing the same amount of conference games because it does matter, you know, but I thought it would make a big deal. It would be a big deal for the SEC if you come out of this season undefeated, if if it happens. Did you have any thoughts on that one, Keely, or – no, I thought it'd be really interesting because, you know, we always make fun of the Pac-12 for taking on more conference games. And now uh, they might be the ones to come out of this more experience with that rather yeah. than the SEC. So I just thought it'd be really interesting to see them actually play tougher opponents. Yeah, so. when you're going to you're talking about missing, you know, playing two of the seven teams to four of the seven. You're going from like just a fraction of it to more than half of that division. That's a pretty big deal for for USC. You're missing Washington State and Oregon State. You add one. It's like eh, that doesn't really matter as much, you know. Like if yeah. you were missing Oregon and you got it added, like okay, you know, Washington State probably sucks. Like Nick Rolovich didn't have to play USC this year and he gets it, but whatever. But we also have another Facebook question: Is it possible for one conference to okay football, or is it an all or nothing situation? Hmm. I I kind of think it's once it's going to be a domino. Like if the, if a Power Five league closes. 
I think they're all going to close. I think it's just not going to make much sense. But I don't know. Do you guys think that the SEC could hold out and just have their own schedule and play a season? I mean, the thing is, is it's not the athletic directors who are making the final call. It's the presidents and the chancellors who are making that call. And I feel like if the Big Ten, Big 12, and the Pac-12 are suddenly saying no, then why are you as a president who are supposed to be the head of academia, you're supposed to be enlightened and, and, you know, thinking about science and data, you're saying no to that? So I think it's just a bad look. And I think presidents and chancellors are very uh, aware of PR and what it could look like and the liabilities that come with it. So it does seem like an all or nothing type of deal. Um, I mean, just when the Big Ten went to conference only, the SEC, from what it sounded like from reports, was very like, ah, what? Conference only? Uh, We want to play football. And then suddenly, look, they're doing conference only. So I think it's just once one goes, it's kind of a domino. Yeah. What's been interesting is there's been all this talk about, you know, is there going to be kind of that solidarity across the mark? And you've seen with the, you know, how the conferences have scheduled have announced their schedules one by one. They're all different. Some of them are 10 games. Some of them are 10 plus two or 11 plus one. So it's it, that's so people are like, oh, everyone's off on their own. But now if there actually is, you know, if they're having the meetings behind closed doors and it's, the you know, all the power five kind of getting together and going, okay, what are you guys thinking? This is what we're thinking. Then there's much more chance. I think that there becomes a, you know, kind of a, a solid, you know, a solidarity effort where they all just agree. And I think that because it's, if, if there's a cancellation, then I think that they want to do it all together just because then it, um, you know, pushes the, the strife from fans and stuff out to fans it out to five different conferences rather than, be, you know, being all attacked at once. So if the Big Ten goes and Big Ten gets attacked and the Pac-12 and the Pac-12 gets attacked, I think then it's all at one time. So, you, you know, everyone kind of looks at it the same uh, rather than, you know, a, a conference getting picked on more. Yeah. And something I was hearing was that a fear is that if there isn't this unity with different conferences, you might see a mass exodus from one conference to another before the inevitable happens. And you would hate for kids to make big decisions like that based off something like Jake Garcia, where they think they're doing something good for themselves. And then suddenly everything's different. You know, it's one of those things where you'd hope they have unity so that there's not just like a mass transfer portal uh, palooza, because in the end, it probably won't help each player. Yeah, yes. like Miller Moss, USC's other commit, like he transferred to modern day thinking they were have a better chance to play than uh, than Bishop and Bishop Alamany. And, you know, both of them are, are shut down now. But yeah, if you if the Big Ten shut it down and then waited a week, how many Big Ten athletes would like transfer to other conferences only to have them shut it down, you know, a day later? Yeah. And that's that's something that's that's happened already with the Mac. You know, uh, there's been I think I think it was Bruce Feldman, a uh, friend of the program, Bruce Feldman, <laughs> at, was just tweeted out that you know that he's talked with Mac coaches and said his top players are already being inundated with you know uh, with coaches from Power Five conferences hitting them up and saying, hey, why don't you want don't you want to come play for us this year rather than waiting until the spring and trying to play? Uh, so it's it will definitely be interesting that whole. The potential, uh, what should be called tampering, what it would be called tampering in the NBA, um, where you know as soon as uh, a, a player isn't being able to play, then uh, the the sharks are in the water out to try to to are smelling the blood and they're out trying to to get that player to leave and come to their school. Yeah, there was a tampering. Who was it? One of the Warriors players or something like was on. 
Yeah, Draymond Green. Inside, like, inside the NBA and was just like, you know, Devin Booker. He's he, like, he needs to leave. Yeah, and then they ask him, like, is that Tampering? He's like, eh, maybe or something like that. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> it was. He got $50,000 fine. Uh, we have a call. I don't know if I want to take So it's our buddy Curtis from Reno Valley. Not that I don't want to take it because it's Curtis, because he wants us to research something. Like, Curtis, I don't want you to make us do work. But anyway, <laughs> welcome to the show, Curtis. How are you doing? Hey, uh, Ryan and everybody. I hope you're doing great. I'm doing pretty good, too. Good. Um, good to hear. The, I had sent the information about the court decision with Northwestern football in 2016. I sent it to Keeley through Twitter, and I sent it to Harvey High through Twitter. But I kind of can't wait to get it started. Northwestern has to treat their football players as employees. They can't call them employees but the students took them to court and tried to unionize. So to escape punishment from the labor board, Northwestern changed their handbook to be able to treat their players as employees. So everybody can change their handbook. The precedent has already been set. Like Shotgun said, they may not want to admit that they're employees, but they can treat them as employees already been decided by the courts. So let's roll that around for a bubble. Talk to you later. All right. Thanks, Curtis. Uh, yeah, there was that. It was actually the same, uh, the same guy, uh, the former UCLA football player that was kind of head, you know, spearheading that too. the one that's doing the, you know, the, we are uh, yeah. the United movement. Um, Ogie. Yeah. Ogie and so, but I didn't think that went through. I didn't think they were being considered employees. I'll have to look at, look at that and see, but I didn't think that actually happened. They were basically like, if you're going to pay them, like they wanted to unionize, like then there was going to change it, the whole landscape where you'd have, they would have to be employees, be taxed and all this kind of stuff, but it would open up the doors for being able to, you know, pay the athletes. And like Curtis said, if they're employees at this point, then you could do some sort of bubble. But to me, it's more, it's not necessarily just the 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 student athlete the collegiate aspect of it that makes football hard in a bubble the nfl isn't doing a bubble like so that's fewer players on a team those are all professional athletes they're not doing any kind of bubble they could have done like a four city sort of bubble thing and you might have done like a pac-12 bubble a big 10 bubble something like that but i i think that's one of the hurdles of trying to do a bubble in college football but there's so many i just don't think it would have been possible if the nfl is not doing it i don't think that you know you would see that in college football where you have 53 man roster versus you know 100 dudes on the team and all the trainers and everything like it's it that would just be an impossibility for me yeah i think that the roster size is one of the reasons why the bubble is more difficult you know when you look at the nfl there's so many uh you know so many additional personnel around you know just the number of coaches you have on a team versus an nba or an mlb team um, there's a lot more. So I think that that's one of the issues there. You know, the cost then just becomes, you know, could become prohibitive, particularly for colleges, you know, particularly for the, the you know, anything outside the Power Five, uh, a bubble would be cost prohibitive. But the problem with it, it all goes back to, you know, saying that they are student athletes versus employees. And, you know, it, it just, I mean, you could do it much easier with potentially a college basketball bubble. You yeah. see something like that, uh, you know, just because it'd be much more feasible with the roster size and different things. But again, you come back to 
then having to admit that they're completely different than all the other athletes that are on campus or the, all the other students that are on campus. So uh, that's the big thing. And then you potentially lose your, you know, the, the NCAA's nonprofit uh, portion. I mean, there's a lot of things that go mm -hmm. into it. it. It's, it's, it all comes back to this. It all comes back to this. And the fact that the colleges don't want to pay athletes because then you lose the, the whole amateur stick um, and then you have to pay people and then you let make less money. Yeah. Any thoughts on that, Keely? Uh, no, I think Chuck covered it pretty much. All right. Um, yeah. We got another one from uh, Coley. So he's our Notre Dame fan, if you guys don't know. Uh, Notre Dame was scheduled to play in the Coliseum this past year. It's canceled. Uh, does USC travel to South Bend in 2021? Uh, that would be back-to-back -back games in South Bend for the Trojans. And I don't think we know no. how that would be impacted, but because those games are scheduled out, you know, sig you know, a long time. My guess would be that they would, they could potentially make an amendment to the contract that they have. But my guess would be that for something like the USC Notre Dame series, where you know you're going to continue it just in the next iteration of the contract, you would probably put USC first. So then you would potentially have a back-to-back -back series there. Or they might just you know come to the agreement and say, hey, we're going to flip-flop the years and do this. The most interesting one was, I don't remember the teams that were involved in it, but there was a game scheduled this year that they postponed. Until 2030. <laughs> Instead of just like, hey, we're going to postpone this until next year, maybe in 2022, there was a non-conference game that uh, I don't remember if it was because the MAC uh, got canceled or just because the conference only schedules. But I think it was an ACC team that went from they have a game scheduled in 2020. Now it's scheduled 10 years later in 2030. Wow. Yeah. Yes, I also agree with Ryan, uh, you know, that – there's no reason why these games have to be scheduled 16 years in advance because there was recently a 2036 game wow. uh, scheduled. There's no reason that needs to happen. Leave open your by, I mean, your non-conference games and only two years out at most, and then then you know who you're playing. Actually, you know if USC schedules, you know Syracuse right now in 2036, you're like, oh, that's terrible. But then they suddenly get a, a quarterback like Donovan McNabb, and they're a top 10 team in the yeah. country. So. <laughs> It doesn't make sense. I think yeah. the, the biggest issue with the USC Notre Dame series is it does change from year to year. So it's in October when it's in South Bend and it's in November when it's at USC. So it's not like you could just switch because Notre Dame does have that scheduled out. The Pac-12 is integrated, USC and Stanford in there. Maybe they could flip-flop those, but I think Stanford's, I mean, not Stanford, I think Shotgun's probably right here where the next iteration of the contract, USC might get an extra game. Like I think you're just probably screwed as far as, you know, you're going to go back to South Bend and just keep going until the next, it's like when your lease is up and then you can like, you know, get your deposit back or something. But there's, I mean, I don't know what they're going to be able to do because it's every, like you said, just all lined up, but you know, maybe two seasons get, I don't want to say that, but you know what, maybe two seasons are impacted and they could make some changes for that shortened season. I don't know. But as of now, it's going to, it's hard to picture moving 2021, 22, 23, since those things are all, you know, scheduled around already. Yeah. And there are a lot of questions about the 2021 season as well. You, you you just you know briefly touched on it, but if there becomes a spring season, do you make adjustments to the schedule after that? Uh, I think you're going to have to have some kind of you know be flexible there with that as well to try to push the schedule back maybe a little bit depending on you know if it if there is a spring season when it starts when it ends how much you know uh, uh, recovery are you giving the athletes are they able to recuperate enough. So that they are ready for another uh, twenty uh, for another season in the same calendar year.
All right. We have a question from uh, Poncho Cam. I don't know how you say that. That's probably that. Um, yeah. How can you justify testing for athletes and not the rest of the student body, faculty, and staff? I mean, it's a valid question. And, mm -hmm. you know, if you're going, if you agree to bring everyone back to campus and you say, well, we're going to test these people, how is that not preferential treatment and you know, above and beyond what a student athlete normally gets? It's hard to say that, is, that they're not. And then that goes back to, well, they're the money makers on campus, so we're giving them preferential treatment. And then you go back to the amateur versus professional debate. Yeah. Yep. Keely, what do you think? I mean, that's the biggest elephant in the room is that if you're not going to have, if USC is fully online, but yet you have student athletes on campus, uh, they're definitely different than students if you have them on campus. And the, the rebuttal I've heard to that is, well, you have some people who are doing clinical research on campus. They have a specialty. So our student athletes, they have a specialty as well. So I can see both things, but one of them is a medical need and medical research rather than this is something to do for fun. And yes, I get it. Student athletes, this is what they train for. They're very good at it. They want to do it. That makes sense. But in the grand scheme of things, in the terms of work in a pandemic, we don't know the long-term effects. There's been multiple athletes who've come out and said that they are suffering from myocarditis. I'm going to botch it. Enlarged heart from uh, being tested positive with COVID-19. So there's things where you know, yes, you can make an excuse for student athletes to be on campus, but should they is the real question. And, and that I don't know the answer to. And I think too, uh, you know, if there's like a performing arts student that would be on campus, I think, I don't know the exact policies, but I believe if you're coming back to campus, there was opportunities to be tested. I mean, you can, anyone can schedule tests in LA County. They have free testing for everyone. I would, uh, you know, I would think if there's going to be limited students on campus that there would be testing available, wouldn't just be for the student athletes. But, you know, at this point, it's going to be a limited number of people. And I think if you're around campus, there's probably some kind of protocol. I don't know for like the clinical research people or performing artists or whatever, but I, I assume there's going to be testing there too. It wouldn't just be for athletes. Yeah. But, but I don't know. We'll see. But yeah, I got, uh, have you got, you guys done any testing? Did you do any? I have not. I've been a hermit. So <laughs> yeah, you've, you've hermited out. I'm out golfing yeah. and stuff and hiking and everything, but. I've been tested a couple times because I went across the country. So I got tested before that trip and then after that trip to make sure everything was good. Yeah, I went, I just went to uh, Catalina camping recently and I got tested when I came back. So I just got the results uh, yesterday and it was negative. So uh, yes, I know it doesn't mean you're immune or everything, but just, you know, I like, I like to get tested every once in a while, check it out. I'm, I'm delivering meals to the, the old folks and stuff for the Meals on Wheels. So just to be sure, you know, you want to do that. So I don't know, just. You also went to a hot spot in Scottsdale. <laughs> I did go to Scottsdale to golf. Yeah, that was good. But, I mean, but we were in a hot spot. Like LA is a hot spot already. So I don't see like, it's like, you're not going like, it wasn't but worse. I think it was worse here. Scottsdale felt like it was like one of the three worst cities in America at that time. No, no, no. At the time we went, it was like one of the worst in the world. So <laughs> we were just like, what? You throw me under the bus here? Like, yeah, <laughs> I was golfing. I mean, I'm like, you know, like I'm out in the middle of nowhere. Not doing, you know, yeah. I'm not like clubs or whatever. Well, those are all closed. Um, but yeah, but I got tested after that too. That was fine. So, you know, just, just to be safe. I don't want to be a hermit like Keely. I like to get out and do stuff. I don't I want to be a hermit. I'm trying to do my duty. I'm going to Idlewild Thursday night and I'm going to uh, hike up, uh, <laughs> San Jacinto. Like it's, uh, oh. yeah, I think it's uh 10,000. It's like almost 11,000 feet, I think. So it's my fifth of, uh, I'm doing the six pack of peaks. So that's the fifth one in Southern California. So nice. I feel safe doing those things. I mean, you're by yourself, like hiking up a mountain, like. 
if I if I catch COVID on the damn mountain, I'm like okay, whatever, you know. But I don't I don't think that's gonna be the case. But you wear like a little mask when you, if you pass anybody like on the trail or something. So nice. I try to be safe, Keely. I stayed in Idaho last year because it was the last day before football camp or last weekend before football camp and all the craziness started. And that seems like seven years ago. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> yeah, like March just seems so. It like. Yeah, like the whole Rudy Gobert stuff when that happened, you're like, this is Not nuts. It. Like, what, yeah. you know? Um, then we were talking about some of the Trojan Club stuff because they, you know, USC like basically shut those Trojan Clubs down. There's gonna be like an online portal for everything. But like the last, the last thing I did, like out in a group of people, was speak at a Trojan Club down in San Diego with uh, Jake Olson, and we were talking about it. Like afterwards, like if this was tomorrow, like it was like Wednesday night, like we we're both, we we're talking to each other. Like if this was tomorrow, this would have been canceled, you know, and then pretty much everything since then has been canceled. So we got one last one in, I guess, before, uh, before the belt, before everything kind of shut down, got another, it looks like a Facebook question. Uh, no national championship game back to AP naming champions. Um, it's actually not true. The, the, the football committee for the playoff committee is still going to meet. So if they're the football season, the playoff committee is still going to pick their four teams. So they'll still be a, a champion this year. So the fact that they were talking about still meeting in person. <laughs> yeah. It was just ridiculous. What? I mean, too. just do it too. Why do you need to meet in person? Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Like, yeah, we still need to, I just, I need to rack up those uh, Marriott points. So I guess we're going to need to meet in person, guys. I, I think they did already. I think they were going to like have an early meeting or something. Like they meet in Dallas, right? But like. So. Is it security? Like they don't want anyone to know what they're talking about in the room, the playoff committee. It's like, because like not that important. <laughs> Ronnie Lott was on it, right? Like he was on there, I think, like on the committee last year. So I don't know. There was some, but yeah, like you don't need to be flying somewhere and meeting in person no. to to do this playoff thing. It, what yeah. could be interesting is if everyone does go to a conference only schedule and if it plays out, do you then decide to expand? Yes. You know, to, to give all the conference champions because you don't really have any, you, there's just no uh, data points of crossover and who plays well against others. Do you then have, you know, do you make it a eight team or uh, just expand to potentially a five team and you give one team a, a buy somehow? I don't know. You can do some crazy stuff. I, you know, I was holding out hope for that too because that would have been like, oh, so we let every conference champion in. We maybe let a, a second, you know, whatever SEC team or somebody, or maybe even a group of five team in, but they're not playing. Um, you know, I thought that would have been a great opportunity to sort of then show everyone, hey, you know, like people are working from home now. And a lot of bosses were like before, like, I don't want my people working from home. They're not going to work. And then they show everyone like, well, it's working. So they'll probably keep doing it after the pandemic shuts down. If you expanded the playoff and you're like, oh, we didn't really want to have eight teams. Like, oh, it worked pretty good. Let's Let's do it. Um, I was holding out hope for that, but the release that I saw from the playoff committee was like, it's still, uh, what is it this year? The Rose and the Sugar Bowl or something. I forget mm -hmm. what the Rose and Sugar. And so they're still going to do like two January 1st games. And then, um, you know, the, uh, the championship a week and a half later or whatever it is. So it's going to be amazing. Cause that's going to be two months before the season starts. <laughs> <laughs> Shotgun well, getting a little Keely pessimism there, right there. Just <laughs> low key Keely pessimism. <laughs> yeah she likes to call it realism we call it pessimism whatever but um but yes i thought so that would have been a good opportunity but maybe if it does get moved to the spring and they have more opportunities 
and it's going to be a conference only thing and group of five is going to play as well. If everyone's going to play, then maybe they say like, we're going to expand the playoff and, and do something fun there because they're going to need to make up some of that TV revenue. And this would be the year to do it. Why not yeah. experiment? Because then if it sucks, you can be like, oh, well, it was 2020. Everything sucks. You know? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> but also if you, you know, especially if they come together as, as conferences and decide, okay, we're going to play this amount of games. So they play 11 games instead of 12. You know, the normal schedule is 12 games. So if you add in a, you know, you're making an 18 playoff, you're only adding one extra week of games. So you could say, oh, we're just replacing that 12th game of the regular season. So I think you could uh, logistically say that, give that as a reason. And then if you, and you could use it as a trial experiment and say, hey, we only did it this year because there were only 11 games this year versus a normal year would have 12. Yeah. The, what I'm curious about, and we'll probably know, I mean, I keep saying, I've been saying this for months. We'll probably know Born by next week and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> it's just, it just keeps getting pushed, just kind of pushed down. It's like you're sweeping all the dirt under the rug. And it's all of a sudden there's like this pile of dirt under the rug. And you're like waiting for like someone to vacuum it all up or whatever, waiting for like the last, the shoe to drop. But if you move it to the spring, whether some of the people that concerned were, well, now you're going to mess with the 2021 season. Do you delay that one? How is that impacted? Um, and I don't know if the powers that be would look at things and go, it's better to just cancel it and reset and do it next year. I I don't know. I think it's better to have a season if you can in the spring. But do you guys think that there's a possibility they're just like scrap the whole thing and just start you know, 2020 PU, you stink, get the heck out of here. We're going to move on and just go to 2021. They've been so reluctant when, in my mind, it seems so obvious to make certain decisions that I don't think that they would come out and say, no, let's not try for spring. I think they would try to for just to not have a player revolt, but also just because we talked about how much the revenue is so important. So I think if we hear anything, it would be like we've unilaterally decided to cancel for fall 2020. We're going to meet multiple times the next couple of months and, and try and put together our best plan for spring 2021. And then... If that breaks down, I think we would hear about it more towards December, but they don't seem like they would just come out and say, hey, we're not doing this for real because they haven't done that yet. And it seems so obvious to do so. So I think they're going to try and be optimistic as much as they can. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the thing is there's there's too much money there for them not to try to get it done. And that's that's the reason why they keep trying to push for it to happen. Um, you know, they're, they want it to happen because, as we talked about in the very beginning, how much revenue is, is created by the football programs and, you know, helps fund everything else in the athletic departments as well. And I think you're going to run into some major scholarship issues if you cancel a college football season because 25 new dudes are coming in still and you're going to, like, keep everybody on the roster. Are you expanding these college football rosters to, like, 105 players or something? Like, how do, like, how do you... How do you do that if you cancel the season? You're not going to say, hey, seniors, you're gone. Now, there's going to be guys that leave. Like, Amon Ross and Brown it would be gone, right? Like, he'd leave or whatever. Um, but I don't know. Like, how do you? How would you manage that roster? What for uh, For baseball, Shaka, it's, it's a partial scholarship sport. Mm -hmm. Are they? Did they allow more scholarships? Or you still, like, have to... No. It, Same amount of scholarships, so 11.7 scholarships. Uh, they did expand the roster... Um, so what has happened actually is that a lot of teams, have, not not all of them, but a, a good number of teams have told their seniors and said, hey, if you want to come back, you can. 
we don't know that we're going to have scholarship money for you, though. Whatever, because one one proposal which was made, I think, by the SEC was that seniors could come back and they would get the same amount of scholarship aid that they had, and you would just add that on top of the eleven point seven you already had. So you could potentially have you know twelve or thirteen or fifteen scholarships, but it would just be the seniors that you would add extra money for. That makes sense. Um, yeah, but the, it was told no. <laughs> so. Things that make sense don't always happen. But the the one thing they did do was expand the roster limit. So you don't have, you know, there's there's not the same roster limit. So you can have a bigger roster potentially, but for seniors and stuff. And that was one of the the reasons that Ben Wanger uh, from USC, um, it was a grad transfer from, uh, I think Yale from from one of the Ivy League schools, came to USC, was a two-way guy, played really well for USC in the limited season this year. But he actually is a grad transfer going to Miami now because Miami actually had some scholarship money available for him. USC was hoping to get him back, but they just, you know, he wasn't on scholarship last year uh, anyways. So they weren't going to be able to come up with new money for him. So that's one of the reasons why he went to, to Miami, even though, you know, USC really wanted him to stay. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's that sucks because, you know, you're everyone in baseball is already on like a quarter scolarship and all. I mean, it, to limit it even more just doesn't make sense. I don't know how that would work in football. If you have 80-something players on scholarship right now, I think USC has like 82 or something. Uh, and then it might be maybe 81 because Daniel Matarbebe transferred. But if you, you know, say you have 80 guys on scholarship and you signed, you know, 20, 20 dudes, like where are they going to go? Like you're going to cut people or you're not going to let them in? Like I don't know how that's going to work. But you, it's a machine in college football and – you took out well one year of that machine. It's still got to kind of chug along. I don't know how they would uh, handle that. Or was was USC playing forty chess the entire time, <laughs> and because the recruiting class is so bad, they don't even need to bring all those guys in anyways. If oh, they only bring in a couple of them. Look, they they've all they thought this so far in advance that they're going to have the elite, you know, the the elite roster that you can have, rather than having to tell a bunch of freshmen they can't come in or push a bunch of people out. I mean, okay, obviously a <laughs> little tongue-in-cheek or whatever, but for USC specifically, it's not like they brought in a number one class with 25 dudes. They have the number 55 class with 13 guys that if half of them didn't come in, you wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't be like the end of the world. So for, yeah, like, I mean, low-key, maybe for USC, it's just not as big of a deal, but like, you're like Alabama or like Ohio State, you have like the number one class and you have all these dudes coming back. Like, how do you... You can't like cut those guys. I mean, the NCAA is not going to ask you to like cut dudes if that happens. I don't. Who knows? We don't know what they're going to do. I mean, there could be some serious conversations about because the other thing is when you add the extra year uh, of eligibility, which is going to happen in baseball, is going to happen for Bree and track, and you know if they have this potentially happen for football, is playing time because that's one of yeah. the big things. Is you you know it's not going to be a cut, but it's going to be telling some guys and being like, hey. We've got a five-star guy coming in. He's gonna. We're gonna get him some reps. So you're gonna lose playing time, or you know, you thought you were gonna get an extra opportunity when this guy left, this senior left. Well, hey, he's gonna be back. Maybe it's best you look elsewhere for for an opportunity. So you're gonna have an influx of players that enter the portal looking for better opportunities. That you know, there's just less less uh, opportunities out there because you're gonna have that the the pool of players will be that much more expensive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the quarterback recruiting is already, you know, it's already strange. You're already looking, guys are already looking to transfer right away. And not now it's like you're coming in 
expecting Keaton Slovis to have, you know, be a sophomore. And it's like, Oh, no, he's still a freshman. You're like, Oh crap. You know, there's, um, you know, there's, yeah, this is going, this would have huge impacts on rosters everywhere. The transfer portal, it might end up being a good thing for some of the smaller schools. Cause a lot of the bigger schools just have too many dudes. They can't have all that four and five star talent. I don't know, but it's uh, hopefully it doesn't come to that, but. I mean, you may even get to the point where the NCAA just says, Hey, sorry. It just, you lost a year. We can't do anything for you. You know, wow. sometimes crazy things happen in the world. We can't, you know, save everyone basically. Yeah. It, I mean, that, to, I mean, logistically that might make the most sense, you know, but it would be a reason to have some sort of shortened season in the spring, maybe have a delayed season 2021 that goes through Christmas or into the new year. And then, you know, a late spring practice in 2022 and then get back to normal. So maybe, you know, maybe something like that happens. We'll see. All right. I think that's, uh, we have more questions or anything. You guys, anything else on your mind or? I mean, I think the underlying thing is that no one wants to be in this position. No admin, no player, nothing like that. So it's just a bad situation to be in all around. And I think that's what we're seeing uh, administrators kind of come to at this point is that we're in a pandemic and there are going to be things that you just can't do in a pandemic. And so it seems like those, that fork in the road is coming very quickly right now. So I feel like things are going to develop very fast. Like Chalkin said at the start of the show, like uh, that week in March where things just happened very quickly. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, we talked a little bit about the, you know, the different things that have happened with, with COVID uh, one positive to come out and our thoughts are with Cameron yeah. Smith, former USC player who uh, uh, got COVID and tested positive for it, went through some more tests and found out that he had a heart issue that he's, you know, he's had for forever, but uh, didn't know about it. And, uh, you know, he's going to be uh, having open heart surgery to get that corrected. So our thoughts are definitely with him. Always was was a guy that was great with us, with the media and everything. Yeah. So uh, looking forward to seeing him get healthy and getting back to potentially getting back to football in the future, but getting healthy first for sure. Yeah. Good yeah. dude. Uh, can we, can we put that in the, the COVID, like non-death, like it's COVID saved his life. Like, can we put that in the other category? Or it's like I mean, the one, one positive thing that, I, that has happened from COVID. Yeah. And it's insane too. He said that his heart only had a little bit longer to go. And I mean, and the crazy part too is Cam Smith is how many physicals did he have? How many times had he had to get things checked by doctors because he's a football player and people still missed it? You know, the combine and everything like that. So because of COVID, because he tested positive. He got that extra screening, and now his life is potentially and probably saved. So madness. Was he? But, I didn't thought. I thought he just got tested. I didn't think he tested positive. Was that? He tested positive. He did test positive. Okay, yes. yeah. He was actually. He had been put on the the reserve COVID nineteen reserve COVID nineteen list. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, he and Taka Cedric Ware actually from with Tampa Bay oh, was wow. as well. Uh, but he he was actually he came off the list and then was waived uh, earlier this week actually. Where where was waived? Yeah. Oh, he didn't get to play with Tom Brady. Oh, well. Um, one last one. I know it sucks. It would have been fun for him. One last thing. I just want to give a shout out to, uh, you know, Mike Bone, Brandon Sosna, the entire USC athletic department. I, I think they've done a great job with those last. I mean, it's for them to come in to this yeah. whirlwind of a season and pandemic and, you know, all the stuff. All, they inherited an absolute mess in the athletic department. And I think they were doing some positive things. And man, they're just like, they're just like getting beat up one, one punch after another, just that there's no rest. And uh, I feel bad for those guys, but uh, I think they're doing a, a good job. I can't imagine if they weren't there, what, what would be happening right now? Like that's, 
Do you think about that? Like what, you know? Yeah, I, I mean, so first off, USC is a private school, but they're releasing their COVID numbers. So thank you to them for that, for being transparent. I think they're doing a great job. But also what I've heard this week is, imagine if Lynn Swan was around for the We Are United movement. I think it you would have seen a different response. And I think, uh, because basically I put in the war room, USC's players weren't totally sure that that was coming down the pipeline uh, Sunday when it happened. So uh, they were kind of informed after the fact that when the press release came out. And from what I heard was part of the reason why you, they weren't as united, if you will, was because they feel like they're being treated well by the, the athletic department. And they feel like they have a better relationship this time around with Mike Bone and company rather than previous athletic directors. So I think that's something we have to give props for is because uh, the players, from what I've heard, feel like they're actually being heard and listened to, whereas I think around the conference and around the nation, that's not necessarily the case. Yeah, makes sense. Um, it's good. USC got away from hiring former football players to be the athletic director. I think it's paying off, paying dividends. Uh, all right, well, we're we're back. We're going to try to do these uh, a lot more often now. Hopefully, we'll just keep our Sunday night schedule. Looks like things were working. Keeley's internet's getting better. I don't know. Like, that's good. Uh, we got thanks to... Uh, to Bree over there. Thanks again for uh, coming to the studio and checking it out. You're welcome. <laughs> Hopefully it was fun, fun for you. you know, I had a lot we, of fun. We appreciate fun. you doing the questions and everything. You can see here. This is where we are. Hi. Um, but that's, yeah. I'm sorry. Oh yeah. Micah do, on, doing the screening. We had a couple calls today. Thank you, Micah, for uh, doing that. And he cuts up the show too. So we put up in smaller uh, videos and stuff, but I'm excited. We're back. This is, is working. We'll, uh, we'll get this, we'll get this going again and we'll keep talking. You know, maybe we, I don't want them to cancel football like tomorrow, you know, like, oh, we had one show and then they canceled. But we'll be, we'll keep talking no matter what. Uh, Cause there's always going to be something to talk about, but it's USC. There's always something. There's oh my never God. Never a dull it's moment. Ever. Like there's just never, ever ends. Uh, all right. For Bree, for shotgun, for Keely, I'm Ryan. Thank you guys so much for tuning in and we will talk to you next time. This is Tony Kornheiser show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball and baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does, <laughs> nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.